Hi, and welcome to the Swede Life Podcast, hosted by me, Jill. The Swede Life Podcast is an anthology of life abroad, the female story, interviewing women from all over the world and telling a uniquely female perspective on the migrant narrative of life in Sweden. This week, we met with Tracy, Tracy Reed. She is a pediatric massage therapist for special care needs. She's also the global ambassador for Little Kids Foundation, founder of Girl Gone International Stockholm, and founder of not-for-profit foundation Little Echoes. It's an organization that supports and campaigns for families with special needs in Sweden. Tracy's tenacity and determination to carry out the mission of Little Echoes comes from a very personal place, following the challenges she and her family have faced whilst living in Sweden. Tracy's experience of life in Sweden is very different from most. It hasn't been a bed of roses or the egalitarian dream that most of us would expect. It shines a light on issues that are little talked about and and often deeply unsettling. We wanted to post a trigger warning with this episode um, as it contains some upsetting topics. Um, We'll be discussing difficult issues such as disability rights, abuse, discrimination, segregation in education, disabled women in the Me Too movement and controversial interventions and therapies. We wanted to also let people know that we'll be using person-centred and identity-first language throughout the episode. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Tracy. Hi. Hi. Um, This is quite exciting for me to do this because... In a bizarre way, we've been in touch for quite a long time, on and off. True, yeah. <laughs> true, yeah. Um, since, well, since I first moved to Sweden anyway. Um, how long have you been in Sweden for now? I, oh, possibly four, four years, maybe longer. Uh-huh, okay. So almost the same, almost a year more than me, probably, because yeah. I'm about four, three and a bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what's yeah? What's what's your origin story? Why are you here? What's good question? Um, my husband and I, um, we came to Sweden quite a lot to visit, um, because his best friend is Swedish, and they met at university in Scotland. Uh-huh. So we would come and visit them, and every time we came, we mm-hmm. kind of fell in love with. Stockholm and, and Sweden in general and the weather and everything. So we got to a point where we were like, we needed a change. Mm-hmm. And so we came with two suitcases. The little one was six months old, no job, and her medical equipment. And we came over um, and found temporary accommodation for three months. And then... What a leap of faith. Yeah. Looking back, I'm like... <laughs> Perhaps that was the best idea. Yeah. yeah, but I think don't you got to do these things at the time that they seem right, don't you? Don't they? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think if you question yourself too much, you can talk yourself out of it. Yeah. So we kind of went. We made a decision, and mm. we just we just went with it. Mm. And it wasn't like we were moving to a place that we we didn't we'd never been to before mm, so mm-hmm. I think that kind of buffeted things a little bit we're like well we kind of know it yeah. even though you don't really know a place as mm, a tourist you know mm, there's mm-hmm. only so much you can 
mm-hmm. um, pick up when you visit a place. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think that's how I felt about Stockholm when I first moved here as well, because we used to come and visit a lot. Because I met my other half in London, and then we used to come over to visit his family and okay. and that, I think that's how that was his secret plan to kind of persuade me anyway yeah. to come over and <laughs> let's just keep visiting until you really like it and then you'll want to stay yeah. basically that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so you were you moved over here and then what happened how did you how did you how, how did you get to where you are now um Well, it hasn't been easy, and the first, I think the first six months were just really chaotic because we had to find somewhere to live after the temporary accommodation, Mm. Um, and then uh, my mum died suddenly the night before we were signing the papers for our first apartment. Oh my God. So I was sitting in the um, estate agent's office, having just learnt that my mum had passed away, but I had to be there to sign the papers. So Ken kind of managed to get through that and managed to get moved, and then I had to go back for, for the funeral. And then not long after that, the little one needed some uh, neurosurgery <gasps> as well. So that was within the space of six months, so it was really quite... It wasn't an easy start. Tumultuous. I yeah, think. And I think it probably set the tone for the rest of our journey here in Sweden because it, it hasn't it hasn't been the easiest. But yeah. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I think your circumstances are particularly challenging. Yeah, it was quite. It, looking back, I kind of I'm not entirely sure how we managed to get through, like. You know, such traumatic events. Yeah. Um, that happened so close together. Yeah. But, I mean, you find a way to cope. Yeah. So, yeah. You just yeah. get on with it. Yeah. Um. So what? How did you set? How did you get involved with Girl Gone International? What was that kind of? Um. I emailed. This was when uh, Girl Gone International was still relatively small. And when I first moved, when my sister posted something, and I thought, that looks amazing. Mm. I really want to get involved with that. So I emailed Anne, and we had a couple of Skype chats. And, and she's based in the US, isn't she? No, no she's in Mallorca. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I think at the time she was in Amsterdam, possibly. But um, So we had a couple of chats, and she told me all about it and, and how to get set up, and there was a lot of support. And... Um, so I thought, you know what, this was, this would be a really great way to meet other people who are in a similar situation, mm-hmm. to meet other women. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. A really great, I'm really, um, I'm really great to see it, it's just taken off exponentially and they're, they're doing so well and they're doing some amazing things. So it's, it's really great to be part of that and to, to have been able to have started the Stockholm community because I met some really amazing women and uh-huh. and how are you? I mean, are you still involved in that or are you? No, I kind of I stopped maybe last year because we moved here and it became really difficult for me to be in the city and organising events in the city mm. and mm. you know um, our priorities started to to change with what we needed. Mm-hmm. family wise and it was time to move on as well mm. you know mm. it was time to to give someone else like the opportunity mm. mm-hmm. you know? and I'm really grateful I learned so much mm. from Girl Gone International if you haven't checked it out then definitely, definitely yeah. you should um some of the people that I I met through 
GDI came to my wedding in Scotland. That's crazy. Yeah, so <laughs> it was, um, and it was actually Anne's, uh, one of Anne's moms, she's a humanist, and she conducted the ceremony. Wow. Yeah, so it was, it was really lovely. Uh-huh. Yeah. What a great way to sort of, you know, have some relief from the kind of tumultuous times that you guys had when you were over. Yeah, I think I think it gave me like it gave me a focus and it, it gave me something to really put a lot of energy into that wasn't related to our, our family. It wasn't related to to anything. It was something that was mine yeah. as well. So I put a lot of <clears throat> emotion and love into it. So actually, when it was time to step back, it was quite difficult, mm-hmm. and I didn't think it would be difficult. But there was so much emotion wrapped up in it. And, mm good emotion and bad emotion mm-hmm. because it became like a therapy for me it became like my escape mm-hmm. and my way of getting through and again I'm so grateful for that that, that I had that you know that opportunity so I, I threw myself into it mm. but it was difficult to step back from it yeah yeah I think that's quite an important observation lesson key I don't know um for a lot of other people who are in the same situation that you and I have been in where they've moved to a different country they're in a different they're you know their their priority may be family but actually what they need is something that is just for them yeah definitely so finding something but of course finding something that is right for you as an individual that's the difficult bit I guess that's the I think I was really lucky actually I was really lucky and I I I felt really honoured that um, and trusted me with her, mm. you know, her baby, basically, yeah. you know, and um, gave me the freedom to to set up the community here. Yeah, like the way I felt was the best way to do it, and yeah. it, it really helped me grow, mm. definitely, mm. and it helped me step outside my comfort zone because I am introverted, extrovert, introvert. I think you know. somebody once described um, it was perfect. It was uh, there was a I can't remember who it was that said this, but it was like a it was like a, a shy extrovert. Yeah. And it kind of really summed up exactly how I feel as well. Like, I, you know, often don't really want to speak to anybody or would be quite happy with my own yeah. company. But when I do get going, I'm a bit like, ah, you know, jazz yeah. hands. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the same. I get quite really anxious in social situations. So it, it does take a lot and it takes a lot out of me the next day. So if I've been really social and speaking to a lot of people the next day or two, I'm just, I just want to bury my head in a book, yeah. basically, and not speak to anyone, yeah. which I do I, frequently. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can emphasise with that. I know that. I know that feeling. Um, so did the Girl Gone International experience um, have an influence on you starting up your own organisation, Little Echoes? Yes, I would say it had a huge influence because it gave me the confidence to do something like that, something that I've lacked my entire life. Like, mm. oh, I'm not good enough for that, or I can't do this. And But definitely, yeah. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> Little Echoes still existed. It existed when my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a... It was just like a secret group mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to share information about mm-hmm. our family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when we moved here, we were incredibly isolated. Yeah. And I realised that we can't possibly be the only family yeah. that's in this situation. Yeah. So 
But definitely, yeah, absolutely. And I've said to Anne that without GGI, Little Echoes, the organisation would not exist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us a little bit about... Sorry, I'm just fixing the computer for everybody that heard my voice go a bit funny there. Um, tell us about Little Echoes as it is now in its current form, because um, I don't. I, I I hope that our readers know about our listeners know about it. But um, well, we are going through changes right now as well. But I can at the moment we um, we we try to support new families, um, mm. and sometimes I'll get. Um, messages from people who just want a, just someone to talk to and um, it's about trying to get information that, mm. that you can't really find unless you're pretty proficient in Swedish Yeah. but basically it's just about support but we're growing that and we're trying to work with different organisations and on different projects but the main the main concept is empowering parents and, and carers and also to make a societal change and, and how we perceive uh, disability in general mm-hmm. and how we support our children mm-hmm. so I'm, I, we are making I say we, we're making some changes right now but we are a small non-profit and we have a Facebook community we're working on um, updating our website and we organise things like music therapy swimming lessons yeah. um, family meetups that type of thing um, with a focus on our children's needs mm-hmm. And to make it completely plainly obvious to everybody, what are those children's needs? Varied. We don't focus on one particular diagnosis um, because actually that is not a reflection of our family situation. And when you're in a situation where you have various different diagnoses, it it can be difficult to figure out where your community is. Mm -hmm. Um, So... For me, I think it's important that the organisation reflects our family, our needs, and um, our, our um, I guess, our philosophies mm-hmm. as a family, mm-hmm. that that comes out. Mm-hmm. So any diagnosis, and even perhaps uh, non-diagnosed, yeah. um, can come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, and I'm going to apologise in advance for using any language that isn't it's a minefield yeah yeah <laughs> um but i you know i i think it's really important for listeners to understand that little echoes is 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 for children or for families mm-hmm. who are with special needs yeah and and um and as you said multiple diagnoses of 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 needs um so what why did you you know you said that the the group started before you even moved to to Sweden Mm -hmm. but what what was the catalyst to make you you turn it into a an actual you know a a much larger um non-profit I just felt that there was a need for it there was a need for a bridge between um perhaps Swedish organisations and the international community because I really struggled, well we really struggled to find the information that we needed to find the support that we needed and also to be able to speak our own our, our language as well, especially in those early days when you're dealing with a lot of trauma a lot of shock and really um, really personal deep emotions 
it's difficult to express that in a language that you're not proficient in. Yeah. So I realised that the, there was a need for that within the international community. But obviously mm. we do have Swedish families also, so mm. there's no... Mm no discrimination or there's no it's not just aimed at international mm. families it's just um i just i felt that if i we cannot be the only family in sweden who's struggling with this mm. Mm. so and the more i thought about it and the more i thought Do you know what i'll give it I'll, I'll set it up and if there is a need there's a need yeah and we'll see what happens yeah yeah so. um and you know because i don't have a reference point for having family members that have special needs mm-hmm. um so for me this is a we've we've talked about this previously in, in in phone conversations and so on about you know what you want to talk about today but i i had no idea mm-hmm. about the the issues um the level of care or lack of care um that's that's um one of the biggest problems at the moment in sweden um so what do you what what would you say that the aims of little echoes is is it is is it to raise awareness i mean are are, is it or to to just support those that are struggling with the we have two main focuses and main focus is to support and nurture families and the children and mm. to give them whatever support mm. we we can mm-hmm. whether that's through just chatting on the phone mm-hmm. or helping them get to music mm-hmm. lessons or, mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. or just the, in the community so mm-hmm. it's just we're wanting to build a real strong support network for families and on the other side is campaigning to things like the change in places campaign which is the campaign for fully accessible toilets which if you're from the UK, you're, you're probably quite familiar with that because over the last few years, it's, there's been a lot of press about it. Um, so I had a meeting a few years ago with PAMIS who set up um, the campaign in the UK about bringing it to, to Sweden. And that was after a particularly awful experience in a, a Swedish governmental building with my little girl in the changing facilities and it, I had a flash of what our future was mm. going to be like it was going to get even more difficult mm. um, so and so that's how it ended up coming to Sweden so when people think about accessible toilets you think about your standard accessible toilets but actually they're not accessible for people with multiple needs even it, it's based on the idea that people can um managed to get on and off their own wheelchair and that type of thing. We're in actual fact people with more um, complex needs and who need carers mm. um, end up having to be changed on the toilet floor. Yeah. So, and this is what it's all about, is to get benches and hoists mm-hmm. in public places and to have proper, safe um, places to... to and am I... about equality. Um, yeah, and am I not right in thinking as well that actually... It's more likely that someone who has special needs is going to have multiple needs, not just be in a wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, they're you know, so it's, yeah. it's that kind of like that sort of like, well, yeah, great, that's that's for you know five yeah. percent of the population that are just in a wheelchair. But what about disability is really complex, and it does it. There's lots of um, 
there's lots of conditions that um, interact with each other. There's it's not as cut and dry as that. Mm. It's not like mm. oh, this person needs a, a wheelchair, so that's it. Yeah. It's not like let's put a ramp in here and that's yeah. it. Accessible yeah. accessibility inclusion it goes way beyond that. Yeah. So when we when we have proper facilities, um, that increases inclusion and equality. Mm-hmm. And what's I've read a couple of articles recently about um, women in particular who um, are getting urinary tract infections and one woman, it was in The Guardian I think, um, has had sepsis because she there's no access to, to proper facilities that she needs. So this is a big, a really huge problem when actually women with disabilities are face multiple um, barriers that mm. um, we can maybe talk about but um, in particular when it comes to you know healthcare there's a lot of barriers um, women are less likely to go for spear tests or less likely to go for mammograms and that type of thing but with the, the toilet situation it's it seems like an obvious thing to cater for but it's not mm. It's and when you think of accessible toilets people think oh that's all you need but yeah, it's, just, it's, it's not. not true yeah. yeah. so that's one particular area in which you know, let's face it, society is not doing its bit in terms of, no. you know, catering for that particular, you know, demographic, that particular yeah. um, group of individuals. Um, what are the other... I mean, I think it's really important. Like, I wanted to talk to you today, particularly, because I think it's really important that people get a... a a really clear idea of what it's like living in Sweden from every pers- every perspective, mm. um, and it's not just you know, um, well, Vikings and you know, mooses and all that kind of jazz. Like the day to day stuff of living in Sweden. Um, so I want to know about your day to day life with a child who has multiple diagnoses you know what are the what are the what are the 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 challenges what are the good aspects what are the you know what's what is what is Sweden getting right what is Sweden getting wrong I mean what are the things that we need to (laughs) she's laughing (laughs) you're okay you don't have to say (laughs) um I, I think it's really you know because there is this um there's this view of Sweden that it's yeah. great. It's egalitarian, it's a utopia, it's a you know wonderfully socialist country hmm. that deals that, that caters for everybody. Yeah. But actually No. It doesn't. No. <laughs> it really doesn't. Yeah. And I think that all goes down to this kind of ideal of consensus. Hmm. You know, if you fit in within a a particular box and you know you've got all the components that make up this particular individual then you're fine you're good Mm. you'll have that cradle to grave healthcare you'll have everything that you need and you know all that but then if you are one of these people who's without outside of that framework that box Mm. in any way shape or form it kind of all just falls away and the 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 social framework is no longer really there to help you. 
on paper it's meant to mm-hmm. let's let's be clear about that on paper it's it's meant to be there and, and you're supposed to have access to everything that you need but the reality is is really quite different yeah um, particularly when it comes to waiting times for um services for mm-hmm. i'll use autism as a an example mm-hmm. um for getting support within schools Mm-hmm. Um, and even access in the wider community so there there are a lot of shortfalls here and my day is spent a lot of the time emailing people and researching to find out how I can best support my daughter mm-hmm. um, and there is this myth that Sweden is equal mm-hmm. and, but the way it's um the way it's framed is that um, everyone can come to something anytime. It's open to everyone. There's no um, barriers. Yeah, everyone has access. <laughs> it's like, well, mm, okay. So I've spent a lot of time contacting venues and um, with health professionals, mm. with habilitating. We currently are not under any habilitating right now, but that's another story. Um, we haven't seen an OT for over a year an OT is an occupational uh, therapist so there are a lot of problems and and I did a poll with my members to find out what their their concerns were what they're most concerned what they were most concerned about and the biggest issue is access in schools and support in schools Mm -hmm. um, and the lack of training in schools yeah so that is a big problem Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I, you know, I'm going to just frame this from the perspective of somebody who has never had to think about this mm-hmm. in their life before. My daughter, we um, put her down for uh, six schools in her in our commune mm-hmm. for school us. Yeah. The only the concern that we had was which one was the closest. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Because we didn't have to think about how she was going to get into the front door. Did they have toilets that were going to be suitable for her to be able to Mm. use? Was there going to be support staff on site for her Mm. to be able to do all the things that all the other children were going to be doing as well? Was she going to be safe outside in their playground? Was she going to be... There was nothing... We didn't have to think about anything for that. And I'm just saying this now so that people can understand why this is so... Why schools are so important and why people worry about them so much but I'll let you continue and tell it from there (laughs) I think you either fall into two camps you either think that um, special schools are where all children should go who have additional support needs I I use the the UK term so additional support needs rather than uh, special needs Mm, Um, so um, and mainstreaming children is much more difficult here Technically, on paper, it's supposed to happen. But I do know a lot of um, cases where the staff don't feel equipped to deal with um, autism or Mm. ADHD, and there are special schools, as far as I'm aware, for children who have these diagnoses. Now, for me, coming from somewhere where inclusive education is the norm, I find that really difficult. And as someone who also... I've got dyslexia, dyscalculia and um, dyspraxia so learning that there are, there are children with dyslexia being sent away to schools f- 
for special needs I find really strange. I find it it's unsettling, to yeah. be quite honest. I mean, that's... I, I don't... Yeah. So I think there, in general, there's a lack of training, there's a lack of awareness... Um, there's a, um, and I can't speak for all schools and I can't speak for all communes but I'm only speaking from our experiences and some of my members' experiences mm. of trying to get support they need mm-hmm. for their children mm-hmm. and it's incredibly difficult and I think it's not just about training unfortunately I mean yeah. this is we have to be honest and upfront and say there are a lot of issues of abuse yeah. Of um, uh, uh, safeguarding. Yes. Um, that schools have not got in place, um, and we don't have to go into details. No. Um, but that's another issue that children, like parents, other parents, don't have to consider when they're sending their child off to school. Will my child be able? Well, I'm sure a lot of parents think that, yeah. but you know, it's when you're dealing with you know having outsiders come into the school to supposedly care for your child. Mm. It's 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 a really difficult one, and I think this is where we we really want to push to well, not push, but to try and empower parents so that they feel comfortable enough, knowing their rights, knowing um, giving them the information so they can be fully part of the process of who is going to be hired to, to take care of their child um, and what needs should be met within the school environment. Um, and it's it's really um, what's the word? inconsistent. Like, and also it, the care can be inconsistent because carers can change all the time, resource persons change all the time, which is actually not what you... You really need, especially for maybe children who have autism and things. So you need consistency. You need to build up trust. You you need to really get to know a child. But the parent, parents and carers really need to be involved in that. And I think there should they should be involved in the hiring of the person who is going to be basically one to one care. But there is also a problem. Um, probably going to start controversy here but from members that I've spoken with and I've spoken with a lot and even non-members there is an issue with with funding and one-to-one care and that care and supervision being used for other children when actually the funding is in place for the for a particular child I've heard of instances where children two children are supposed to have support but they've only had one resource person and this is quite widespread within mm. um, the schooling system. And is that part of the LSS crisis that's taking place at the moment? LSS is about um, personal assistance. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of... So that's personal care. That's yeah, not, and, yeah, and kind of helping... It's, supposed, it's disability law that's supposed to help individuals participate within the wider community, mm-hmm. to be cared for at home, mm-hmm. um, and to really live a as best a life as uh, as they can, but unfortunately, due to cuts, it's not it's not really happening. And mm-hmm. actually, there there's only a small percentage of people. I can't remember what the exact numbers are, but there's only a small percentage of people who are entitled to LSS. Mm-hmm. A either claim or B get awarded it. Mm-hmm. From our personal perspective, um, we technically probably should have LSS, but we were offered one afternoon a week where someone would come in and 
essentially babysit so we could do the shopping. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're lucky in, in a sense because I gave up work so that I could be here when, when our little girl needs us. Um, I gave up my business because we weren't getting the support. Mm. Um, and also, cause I feel that there, she also needs consistency and care as well. But there are a lot of families who are being forced to move communes. I know of some international families who have packed up and left and went back to their home country. So there, there is a problem. And, and LSS, um, RBU, have been really good at promoting and campaigning against um, LSS. What's cars. RBU? It's a, an organisation, a kind of an umbrella organisation for um, disability rights and um, issues and it supports mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. people and they've got different uh, offices in different regions. But they've been quite prominent with the campaigns against mm-hmm. the LSS mm-hmm. cuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've watched, I've only been aware of it through um, the news, through Swedish news. Mm. And it is, even just through watching that, it's alarming how ca- ca- kind of cavalier mm-hmm. these cuts that have been made to Fischekning's Castle and, and to um, LSS just they're kind of just like and there's there's no so there's no interim or there's no solution secondary solution it's just no we're just going to take it away that's it it's and you're kind of like well hang on these people are now faced with life-changing decisions about, as you said, giving up work, yeah. moving to different places in Sweden, moving out of Sweden, just in order to... Mm. It seems... It's quite frightening, and it's a few communes um, have made the decision to build um, homes um, so families can share resources, um, because there's a lot of pressure now on communes to, to, to provide that care. Um, and the money's just not there. So they're building essentially group homes. Which I think is it, it's just terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so, like... <gasps> but it's kind of painted in the light that, you know, it's good because it's in the same commune that the families live in. And that's not what LSS is. LSS is to help support independence mm. and to help support inclusion within the community. Yeah. So, I, I mean... I. I'm not an expert on this. I only know like what I've been able to translate, and yeah. you know, so um, there there are problems with that. I'm not sure what's going to happen now with the new government or uh-huh. whatever. So uh-huh. it's just something we need to keep yeah. an eye on. Um, but there are a lot of concerns, and in my commune, there was a story yesterday about a young man who's um, who's been living in basically supported accommodation, but through circumstances is now. There's nowhere for the commune to put him. So they're suggesting he moves 60 miles out where there's no fam- to a group home where there's no family or anything around about him. Mm. And this is quite common. There was also a story last year of a young man who was diagnosed with autism and he was just basically left in a hospital ward because there was no... I think this was in Leninga where there was no uh, place to put him. I can send you the links mm. if I can yeah, find those, def- those definitely. and we'll, we'll post them so with I mean, you. It, it gets my blood boiling a bit, particularly when people assume that the state takes care of everything because it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, and we need to be real about that. We we need to address these problems before they, they get worse, yeah. really, and we need to talk about it. 
Um, and the information needs to also to be out there to cater for an international yeah. population. Um, and my Swedish is, is much better than it, it was. <laughs> um, my reading is far better. Spoken, I'm still, mm. you know, I'm still very nervous about it. But when it comes to, to, to reading and understanding, it's much better. But when you first come here, it's terrifying. And when we first came here, I actually started um, SFE, but then the little one needed her major surgery, so I just stopped. Because that wasn't my priority. My mm. priority was caring for my And daughter. I think but that's a really good point. How, yeah, it's okay, SFE is, is, is wonderful and in the right context. And... You know, caring for a child, regardless of whether or not they've got additional needs, exactly. is not that right context for learning a new language. So there is this kind of element of, well, there needs to be more done for parents and parents of children with this, uh, with additional needs in order to make sure that they are given as much information and they're given as much autonomy yes. as they can because that, for me, is the big thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think it's... Find, you know, before you, you can't... You, the, the number of situations you find yourself in because you didn't quite understand yeah. what the BBC nurse was saying mm-hmm. and before you know it, you know, your, your kid's getting injections that you might not necessarily want them to get or, you know, whatever. It's yeah. just, it's even, you know, even stuff, picking up prescriptions at the apotheque or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm a big advocate of people learning the language absolutely. in which they yeah. live in. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the country they live in. I am a big advocate of that. And I will, it's the first thing I always say to people. People get in touch with me and say, what should I do? I'm coming to Sweden. I'm like, start learning language now. Mm-hmm. Because it will take you two or three years to become proficient enough just to get by. Yeah. Um, but there is an element of, yeah, as, you, as we were, we were talking about, you know, if you go to the doctor you need to have some kind of, you need to, you, you know, they often do provide translators for you in these situations, but more often not, they won't. And we've had, I've had situations mm. when I've taken my daughter to the doctor and the doctor has refused to speak English mm. to me. Yeah. So, and I've had, I've done my best in terms of understanding what it was that he was saying. Yeah. But, I think it, particularly in an accident and emergency situation as well, there has to, you know, I can understand that there aren't interpreters or translators on hand, I get that. Um, but it's a frightening experience when your child has to go to accident and emergency or when they have to go through major operations. But to be fair, um, our little one's team mm. are at the uh, Ashford Lingen are absolutely fantastic. So we're devastated to find out that the skeletal dysplasia clinic in Solna is now being dismantled because it's the only clinic in Sweden. So there's a petition, I'll share links with that as well, there's a petition online to to put a stop to it. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure why. I think it's got to do with budget and staffing. Mm -hmm. Um, But hopefully I'll get some answers Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really... Kind of making us have to evaluate yeah. what our situation is because yeah. if there's 
the type of uh, diagnosis that our little one has requires real specialist care. Um, and not and general practitioners don't have that care. I mean, she, for example, if she goes for an operation, she needs a specialist anaesthetist mm. in order to because of the um, the ratios of the chemicals and also the positioning of the body and things. So she needs real specialist care, and to to find out that the only one has been taken away is really quite scary. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Where are we going with that? Um, well, I think where, where I wanted to ask you about really was um, what to sum it to, to not not to sum up but to kind of to crystallise it really. What are the key issues for a family that comes to Sweden with additional needs? What what are the things that you would say Sweden is not managing right now? There's long waiting times, mm-hmm. so um, be prepared. Find out what the uh, resources are in your area, what's provided. Through the, through the commune or municipality. Yeah. Um, what type of schooling mm-hmm. that you would be entitled to. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is there's? If I had known then what I know now, um, just it's not the utopia that you think it's going to be for healthcare. Mm-hmm. Like um, it's a lot more complex. It it's sounds. very complicated, and also sometimes if you've been given a diagnosis in a particular country, it might not necessarily carry weight in Sweden as well. So there are instances where I've heard of families having to go through the process of diagnosis again. again. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> Because it wasn't diagnosed in Sweden. And also some diagnoses are not recognised. So, for example, if you're looking at a child who has sensory processing problems or who has, like, you know, who is autistic and and things, um, you'd expect occupational therapists to be trained somewhat in in, um, sensory integration. Um, Not the case here, because now... I could be wrong, I've not checked recently, um, because it's not recognised as a thing mm. here. So I, I do get emails mm. from families asking about this type mm. of stuff. Um, mm. So it's something you'll need to, to mm-hmm. consider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, And entitlements as well. Yes. Um, find out what you know, your uh, basic disability allowance you should get help filling out forms. Isn't always the case. Um, what type of therapies mm-hmm. are basically on offer, mm-hmm. and whether it's something that you know you would want to put your child um, through, um, or it's a therapy that you are aware of, um, because also there are certain therapies that are not available here and. So things like we do music therapy, and as far as I'm aware, you, music therapy isn't routinely offered. Mm. It might, it might be now actually because I know someone who's just got a job, 
so that that's totally wrong but it just depends on the approach that you want to take mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. as much research as possible yeah and you can always drop drop us a message i was just going to say that would it you know if somebody is kind of faced with those situations can they get in touch with little echoes and yeah. and and you can give them that kind of we can do our best yeah, yeah absolutely because i mean our members have such a a varied uh, needs mm-hmm. so um, if we uh, we don't know we can certainly ask within the community mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. to go for support mm-hmm. and that's basically why we exist mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to something that you just mentioned there about therapies and um, and we can talk about this or not I know mm-hmm. like um, but what I get the sense that you feel that there's some therapies that are used in Sweden aren't necessarily what you would consider to be appropriate. Yeah. Okay. From a personal perspective, I feel that um, compliance-based therapies, things like ABA or um, IBT, um, about teaching children socially acceptable behaviours, mm-hmm. eye contact and, and that type of thing. Um, but basically you do 20 to 40 hours a week early intervention work with child. It's not something that we've ever put our little girl through, but I understand why families decide to do that. It's not something that we would want to do because I don't... I, I, our daughter just wouldn't... She wouldn't be having any of it. She's quite headstrong, so and we want her to remain that way because she doesn't speak. So in order for her to to say no, mm. she needs to know that she can say no that without using words. Yeah, but also you know there's a thing where children who go through lots of um, procedures and um, diagnoses and are constantly prodded, you know they need to. Be, to know that they still have control of their body. Mm. It's like when you force a child to hug a relative. Yeah. You know, don't force a child to automatically trust a therapist, that type of thing. So it's really important to us that that our little one has control of our body. Mm. And you feel that these compliance-based therapies just kind of take that, strip that away a little bit? I think it... I'm probably going to get a lot of emails about this, but... I've taken my cue from the, the autism community and adults who have gone through these type of therapies and there's research now to suggest that post-traumatic stress disorder is a big problem because particularly where autism is concerned and in women, people mask their, their natural way of being because they're trying to conform to the way that society says they have to conform. So... This is where you kind of look at the social model versus the medical model. Of yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So basically the social model, in simple terms, the social model is very much that the environment and society disables the person, not the diagnosis. Yeah. But whereas when you medicalise it and pathologise it, it's it's all seen in deficits and functioning labels and that, and, and that type of thing. When actually it doesn't really address I guess the the beauty of neurodiversity mm. and the beauty of diversity and disability is part of the human condition mm. and it's it always has been mm. so fitting yourself into a box because society deems that normal which is what Sweden loves to do it's, it's, 
<laughs> yeah, it's not like... I mean, I've learned all this, all these things through listening and reading blogs written by uh, disability advocates and just learning because I, I don't have the diagnosis that my daughter does, okay? So the best way for me to learn is to actually speak to someone who does, mm. not someone who's written a paper on it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, so I, I've learned so much from reaching out to bloggers, from speaking to adults um, about the diagnosis that she has and their experience of it and how I can support best support her. Mm-hmm. And the majority of um, self-advocates for um, autistic self-advocates are staunchly against ABA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, for me, my goal as a mum is for my daughter to feel empowered, mm-hmm. for her to be proud mm-hmm. of, who, of, of her uniqueness mm-hmm. and to find a way to, to live in this world that it's unique to her and mm. I don't want her to change I don't no. want, I'm getting quite emotional about it you know because mm. right now as she looks in the mirror and she loves what she sees Yeah, she flicks her hair and she <laughs> smiles and she checks out what she's wearing and she's absolutely she loves what she sees Yeah, and it breaks my heart to think that in years down the line, people yeah. are going to bully her or be mean to her. Or, or just make, make her feel different yeah, in any way. I mean, it doesn't even have to be valued. that. It, yeah. It's yeah. all about valuing everyone's human experience. Yeah, definitely. How you experience the world and how I experience the world are completely different. But they're both valid. Yeah. It's the same with a neurodiverse person. Which I discovered I'm neurodiverse because I'm dyslexic. So mm. neurodiversity covers um, different ways for the brain to fu- to basically function. Mm. So ADHD and, and uh, autism and, and that are considered to be neurodiverse. Mm. And there's a spectrum, isn't there? I mean, there's just it goes from yeah, from yeah, and um, it's always been here. It's all. Autism, ADHD, different neurodiversity has always been part of the human genome. Yeah. So embrace it. Yeah. And some of the most celebrated human beings for their creativity, for their Absolutely. you know genius, for their have have lived on that spectrum, have you know experienced life through that. Yeah. 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 Um you called yourself an advocate. Yeah. Um, I think you just think you just did. I think you just said that you know you want to you want to advocate for people who live with neurodiversity who 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 want to have a maybe ally is the ally. Okay. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. I struggle with advocate or ally. I probably advocate for my daughter's needs. Right. Yeah. Um, but people in the community that I don't know, I'd like to think I'm an ally. Okay. Yeah. Well, that even that fits even better into the context of the question I was going to ask, which was about women, disabled women with the Me Too movement. 
Mm. We talked about that the last time that we spoke and, you know, how you're seeing your daughter grow up in post-Me Too, mm. in a post-Me Too world. Um, that is That falls within the same... I think it comes down to disability rights and female disability rights should be central to feminism and should be central to um, women's movements and they haven't been mm. they've been very separate and even um, there are di- discrepancies between how men with disabilities and women with disabilities ex- ex- um, opportunities for them and how they experience but I was reading something really recently there is an organisation and in Sweden and I'm just going to it's um disabled women in, in Sweden and in 2011 they produced I can send you that they mm-hmm. produced this paper um, about the demands that they wanted to see about how women with disabilities are basically second class citizens because you're too you're basically discriminated doubly discriminated against um, so what I found going back to the Me Too movement and the women's marches was a lack of voice from um, I guess my daughter's community. Yeah. Um, and there was an NPR article about how how women with um, disabilities are so much more susceptible to sexual abuse and to abuse and to domestic abuse and things, mm-hmm. and how their voice wasn't being heard. Yeah. So I think it's really, really important for for any women's organisation or any movements with women to really consider the needs mm-hmm. of, of this intersection yeah you know but and even there was a another article published about eu guidelines and there isn't actually i think 16 percent of, of women in the eu or i think there's 16 percent of women who have disabilities but then there isn't actually official strategies in place within the eu to uh, help women uh, with disabilities either in the gender specifics or in the disability. Mm, mm, mm. So that was quite recently. Mm. That. I'm not articulating my way, myself very well because I've not had enough coffee. But, <laughs> but um, that's the general gist of it. There, there is a big problem. I think you're right. I mean, I, I acknowledge that, that there's a huge emphasis on um, intersectionality and diversity in ethnicity, mm. in um, uh, religion um, and an awful lot of other minority groups, but yeah, lacking massively when it comes to disability. I mean, I can't remember thinking back of it. I can't remember hearing of any hmm. stories of of women, female disability in the Me Too movement. I can't think of any at all. Hmm. It's a serious lack of evidence. Yeah. It was a problem, and there was a big um, issue in the states as well with the, the marches and the representation. I think there's been a few. Um, controversies, uh-huh. but that I mean, controversy brings awareness, I guess. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So exactly. hopefully things will change. Yeah, exactly. So what do you? I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Little Echoes. Yep. And the organisation and and how it just how is it run? But I mean, how do you get? How did I mean? What's it's uh, voluntarily? We don't have any funding at the moment, but there's light at the end of that tunnel. Um, so and we have a board 
So there's myself and three others. Um, and basically, I kind of do it whenever I have a spare minute. So building it up has taken longer than I expected um, and, and how I wanted. But I'm now at a place now where we're um, on the cusp of various projects and pushing mm. forward um, uh, with support. My main absolute, I say dream, but my main goal is that I really, really would love to find a safe premises where our families can come, where they know it's accessible, where they know where the children are familiar with it, where they're not getting, you know, where they can become comfortable to come to classes, where the parents can come and it's a community space. Well, exactly. Want, yeah. We really, really need something like that. And this is my, I guess this is my end fundraising goal, if you like, to find mm. a space like that where we have the ability to, to have a sensory space where parents can come and get stress management, where the kids can come and be looked after by trained staff. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear about that, trained staff. Um, and people feel safe. There is no safe space, and I think I—I I mean, I—I've—I I've, know that you have been campaigning or fundraising or, you know, trying to achieve this. It's possible for well for the last four years. Yeah, and I just find it un. un I just find it really difficult. A to, to I'm shocked that this kind of space doesn't exist already mm. um, Not that but I think know. it's a I think a, well, I think the reason that it doesn't exist is because of a it, it's a clear indication of what this the priorities of the Swedish population of the Swedish government I mean it's just not it's mm. not something which I'm and you know both you and I come from Scotland I can name at least two or three organizations that have space mm. like that and that's just in Edinburgh and Glasgow. Yeah. Do you know, just to kind of derail a little bit, we went back, uh, we went home uh, the last time we went home, and the local area had t- completely revamped the play park, and it was amazing. And now you're talking in one of uh, not the richest councils, and they had made just wheelchair accessible swings there was a sensory bit the it, it was it was amazing it actually brought me to tears because when we we took our little girl um she was playing but we noticed other children with various other needs mm-hmm. and all the kids were playing together yeah and it was like oh, that's the goal isn't it really wow. yeah um and as far as i know there isn't anything like that here so as well as the lovely space, inner space and outer space as yeah. well. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's a major, it's a major ask, and it's mm-hmm. a major fundraising goal. But it like. shouldn't be though. I mean, that's. I mean, at the end of the day, it shouldn't be because you know there's a. You think about the amount of money, and resources and time mm-hmm. that are put into children that don't have any special needs, yeah. that don't have any you know additional requirements like you know they there's so much money put into that yeah why can they not just go there's actually a whole minority group here within this within mm. you know children you know barn owned homes whatever mm. that's not being catered for it's been overlooked it's been 
think it's about ch- changing the perception of what equality actually means. Yeah. And what inclusion actually means. Yeah. It's not that it's open to everyone and that's it, and you put a ramp in. It's, it's about changing, like, okay, we need to make some accommodations for this particular group or um, and giving people equal chances. Because a lot of people avoid public spaces and places that, that maybe other parents would quite happily take their children because they know they're fine. Mm. But uh, many of families that I know will just avoid these places altogether so their kids don't get to experience the places that perhaps you would take for granted that you could take your child to if she was bored. We've got all these other considerations. Yeah. Um, and and to be fair, there are um, a couple of places that do um, special afternoons, but it's like an hour. So, there again, it doesn't cater for sensory needs and, and things. Mm. So. Mm. But there are places that are trying that we have contacted. And yeah. We have, um, Do you sense there's a shift? Um, I'm not feeling it yet, but there are a couple of organisations that we're working with at the moment who are very keen mm-hmm. to pioneer mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. here. So, um, possibly. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is. I, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. I've just become so despondent and yeah. sick of getting either no response or, but we are open to everyone responses mm. or no there is only one show we don't do um sensory sp- special shows it's one show and that's it book through your school and then there'll be less children there mm. so on a happier note yes what projects have you got that you're working on that you can tell us about with little echoes oh we're working on a theater project oh yeah i'm very excited about this yeah with I don't know if you've seen it, the um, dragons and drag queens. Yes. Yes. So I had I asked if I could mention this, and yes. So we're working on a project where we're bringing the two teams together, um, to create a sensory friendly, inclusive, um, performance for all the children. So from our team, we're going to have input from. Parents, physios, kids, uh, OTs, etc. Like a whole range. And and then Petter's team will take all that information and transform it into something amazing. Brilliant. Fantastic. So it's been we've been working on it for since before the summer, but it's getting everyone together. Yeah. Um, to have meetings and to really talk about the needs. So we've come up with a few ideas and plans. It's quite exciting. exciting. Yeah. Yeah, because we've not actually announced this anywhere. Woo, another exclusive. I love it. (laughs) Um, So there's a a few people that know that um, who might be giving us funding, but um, apart from that, we've not... It's been very low-key and with people who would want to be involved in the project. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be involved in a project, if you have experience in accessible theatre if you have any kind of experience at all that can mm-hmm. help us to create a really inclusive mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. or actually if you want to volunteer at any of the shows mm-hmm. um, then to get in touch so we're Perfect. kind of in the second stages now that's I'm really so exciting excited. Yeah. that's really great and I think it's great isn't it I mean I know that um, let me get this right Blonde, Blondrocker or 
Drag queens? Yeah. I think that's... Okay, I'm yeah. really sorry, Peter. pronunciation. <laughs> um, but they do have a name now. They're very... They are within the context of, of, of Stockholm land. They're... Mm. They, they're building up a bit of a reputation. Yes. Well, which is good to have that kind of support. Lends well to your... Yeah, I mean, I contacted him months ago. Mm. When I first seen a little... Oh, that looks great. And he got back really quickly. And he super, like, up for it and thought it was a great idea. Yeah. And... So he's been amazing and really enthusiastic about it, and mm-hmm. it's it's amazing to see how quickly um, the sh- the project has taken off. I'm so happy for them. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's because he? I mean, I, I I found that having something that someone or something like that behind you that's already kind of um, been okayed yeah. by. Uh, you know, whether it's Kultur for Valtningen mm. or Social for Valtningen or, you know, one of the, you know, many bureaucratic agencies that hands out money, yeah. it kind of fast tracks you straight into, you know, the, this kind of realm of, yeah, we can totally make this project happen. Yeah, it's, I think that's been the problem that we've had over the last few years. Nobody trusts us because we're super small and we don't have huge financial backers. Basically, I'm just a wee Scottish mum. <laughs> Trying to do our best, you know. To, Me do. Yeah. You know, make a life, make life better for my little one, and and hopefully for for others yeah. as we do it. So, and when I, I I remember at the very beginning, someone said to me, "Well, non-profit in Sweden, you're going to have a struggle," and actually, it is a struggle. It's it's very difficult to get cooperation from other organisations because because it's incredibly territorial. Yeah. And this was confirmed to me when I spoke to a, a Swedish person who was trying to get her project off the ground and she was like, you're going to struggle to get other people to help. And I noticed this with the Change in Places campaign when I, I contacted every organisation I possibly could because I thought solidarity, mm. you know, this affects us mm. all. Tumbleweed. <laughs> yeah. It's such a strange kind of attitude to have towards trying to, for the greater good. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just our Scottishness or whatever. But you know, when when you, I've always been, I've always thought that if you come up with a, a really great concept or a really great idea that's going to impact the lives of thousands of people for the great for for good, mm. then you get as many people involved as possible that can help out and make the change. And you know, it doesn't matter whose idea belongs to or you know who who takes responsibility for the funding you just do it exactly you work together yeah i have i'm I'm hopeful that things will snowball start to snowball with the various other things that are happening but i think maybe people just take longer to trust you maybe that's it so so there you go if anybody is ever thinking about starting a non-profit in in sweden be prepared for it to take some time (laughs) It really does. <laughs> oh, okay, well, thank you so much for Thanks talking. For oh, no, it's been great. It's been so good to talk to somebody who's, you know, actually got a totally different perspective on life here because it's very easy for mm. 
other parts of the population to go, you know, yeah. if you can't see it, then it's not there. It's not all sunshines and rainbows and no. unicorns, definitely no. not. But there are aspects which are lovely, mm-hmm. other aspects not so. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. just depends what you're, what you're willing to put up with. Basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 